The Third Magpie. By M.S. Clements. Read by Hannah Timms. Episode 11. The Locked Door. Tomorrow lives behind a locked door. Today you offer up promises and dreams and tell us they will be ours tomorrow. And today becomes yesterday. Tomorrow is always beyond our reach. Our fingernails wear down to nothing, scratching at that bolted door. And when we look back, we see our dreams rotting on yesterday's detritus. Sophie. They had sat in silence for nearly three hours. Christopher suggested music for the journey, but neither Finn nor Sophie were in the mood for anything other than their own thoughts. She kept going over Tim's instructions, regularly checking her bag for the thick brown envelope. Every cough from Finn sent a tingle of fear down her back. Her head was constantly devising problems she knew didn't exist. She was Sophie Smith, daughter of the foreign minister, Problems did not exist for people like her. Sophie caught a glimpse of their destination in the distance. Occasionally it would disappear behind trees, but as they got nearer, so her anxiety increased. It was a grey complex squatting on the outskirts of the city. The road had led them to the concrete perimeter wall, built in haste to keep foreign terrorists out, or so they said. Sophie strained her neck to see the curls of razor wire connecting each security watchtower. And inside those towers, guards surveilled the patients and staff locked within the walls. A prison, cloaked within the facade of a hospital. She flicked a worried glance across to Finn, but his eyes were shut. Christopher did not slow the car as they passed the entrance. Confused, she leant forward, holding onto the back of the driver's seat, and whispered, Christopher, the entrance is back there. Your dad suggested I drop you outside the Patriot Gatehouse. It would be less conspicuous. Not too many black limos stop outside the DIA entrance. If Finn had heard their brief discussion, then he did not react. That came as no surprise to Sophie. When she made any comment about the flu crisis, he would leave the room, saying he was tired. Such is the exhausting nature of fear. Christopher stopped the car and, like the dutiful chauffeur he was, held open the door for Sophie. She took in the Albion gatehouse. The watchtowers with their gun-toting guards were replaced with huge planters, each sporting an enormous mahonia, and instead of razor wire, a leafless wisteria wound its way up the wall and along the top. A large sign proudly welcomed Albion patriots to the world-class facility. Sophie was transfixed by the sign barely noticing Finn had joined her. He held out his hand. She removed her glove and slid her warm hand into his. If you follow the path round the perimeter, you'll eventually get to the entrance you need. I'll drive to the shopping village and wait with the other chauffeurs. No one will bat an eyelid. Text my pager when you need me, OK? said Christopher. Sophie nodded, afraid to speak out loud. Good luck, Dr Sheehan, he added. Sophie felt Finn's fingers tighten around her hand. Thank you, Professor Hamir, 
replied Finn. The closer they got to the DIA entrance, the more prevalent the guards became. About a dozen or so were directing DIAs who disembarked from the bus, ordering them into queues. Sophie let out a small sigh of relief. Those guards were in the green uniforms of the medical corps. There was no sign of Asu's ominous black. Bleep bleeping of bangles being checked drowned out the scant murmurs in the queue. Ahead of them, guards directed accompanying Albion spouses to the payment and registration centre. Other guards escorted DIAs to an entrance on the left. While Finn and Sophie waited in line, a luxury coach drove up. It halted by the entrance, its door slowly sliding open, automated steps lowered, and two guards stepped on board. The guards were talking, gesticulating to the building. The passengers were nodding their heads, turning to see where they were heading. Unlike the people queuing, no one looked frightened. It was more of a perplexed expression by some, and reassured nods from others. They got off and waved them through, watching as the coach disappeared into the vast complex. One of the guards laughed as he returned to the gate. There was a malevolence to it that added to the sinister nature of the place. She brushed it away, blaming her overactive imagination. But then again, why had her dad given her all those instructions? Finn stifled a cough into his handkerchief. She squeezed his hand, asking him if he felt okay. He nodded. Henry had said it might take months to fully regain his health, and he had certainly improved from five weeks previous, when she feared he would be yet another statistic on the daily briefing. Bangle! Sophie jumped at the command. Finn obeyed the guard and held up his wrist. Got an MI! What's the procedure for them? The young guard shouted. The other guard didn't even bother to look up, continuing to tap out details on his tablet. Same as the others, give me the number. 568216-2-MI. Okay. He pushed his arm between Finn and Sophie, forcing Finn to step aside. Prisoner 568216, stand over there with the others. You, miss, go straight to payments and registration. That word prisoner sent an ice shiver through Sophie. Paralysed to the spot, she watched her husband take his place in the line. It was easy to forget his prisoner status, and that 568216-2-MI was his official prisoner number. Move along, got others to check in, the guard barked at Sophie. The guard was in his early twenties, if that, given the pimples on his face, just carrying out orders. At that moment, she felt capable of snatching the tablet off him and slamming it into his face. Ignoring her father's warnings to remain polite, she snapped back. My husband is of ministerial interest. He has special privileges. He's not a prisoner. He looked up, ignoring her indignant glower. All prisoners are treated equally here. Now move on, miss. The visible grasping of his nightstick indicated his next action if she failed to comply. Defeated, she followed the others into a building opposite the entrance. Sophie collected her number and checked the room for necessary information. Along one wall was a row of about a dozen desks, glass screens separating the clerks from the DIA spouses. Above each desk, a red-lit number, and on the opposite wall, a screen stating which desk the next number should attend. Sophie looked at the piece of paper, 134. The number on the screen said 68. 
More people arrived behind her, elbowing their way to a space where they could watch the screen, each clutching at the scrap of paper like a lucky lottery ticket, willing their number to come up. At the desk, an elderly man was crying. Clearly hard of hearing, he had failed to understand how to use the headset. The clerk opened a little window in the glass, talking slowly and loud enough for the room to overhear the sad story. The old man couldn't afford the release fee. There was no sympathy from the guard. He just repeated the standard statement from the prepared script. If deemed fit to return to society, the prisoner will be kept here for 30 days or until you have the funds for the release fee. If, after 30 days, the prisoner is not claimed, then the prisoner will be passed on to repatriation. He might have been talking about a lost dog or a wallet, not an elderly man's wife, his life partner. Sophie turned away. After nearly two hours of waiting, Sophie's number appeared on the screen. Her back hurt from standing so long in the high-heeled court shoes she rarely wore. But sitting was not an option. There were no chairs. The clerk on the other side of the glass indicated to Sophie to put on the headset. She did so and heard him ask for Finn's DIA number. 568216-2-MI I only need the number. Your MI is the first we've had for a while. There were unseen taps on a keyboard as he retrieved Finn's file on the computer. His facial expression changed. Unease rose within Sophie compounded when the clerk left his seat to seek assistance from a guard behind him. Both of the men studied the screen and then peered at Sophie. The clerk switched off the intercom to her headset. Their deliberations kept secret. A senior guard quickly joined the mine, his flaying arms indicating to the clerk to move. He switched the intercom back on and spoke. This prisoner is unmarried according to his file. Or rather, there's no mention of a spouse. Who exactly are you? I I am his wife. Look, here's my wedding certificate. Sophie pulled the certificate from her handbag and held it flat against the glass, barely breathing as she waited for a response. The guard peered at the certificate. Miss Smith, is it? Yes, yes. Sophie was also nodding, hoping her physical and verbal affirmations would reassure the guard and speed up the process. On the other side of the glass screen, the suspicious guard seemed less concerned by her urgency. We regularly see forgeries of certificates, miss. It's a well-used method by the insurgents. Find a gullible patriot woman and convince her to be a pretend wife. It seems this particular husband has been found out. Sophie started to panic. This was not meant to happen. She had to persuade the guard that Finn truly was her husband rushing out her response. Ask the minister for the interior. He'll confirm it. He attended our wedding. My own father is Tim Smith, the foreign minister. Please, you have to believe me. The guard did not reply. Sophie lowered the certificate, unable to judge his face. In truth, she had no idea what her father had ordered or whether her name had been removed from all files, not just Finn's public file. If the prisoner is your husband, as an MI, his details should be held on an interior ministry file. The senior officer's face softened, adding, It's not strictly procedure, but... Seeing as how your father is, Mr Smith, I'll get someone to call and check. It may take a while. Sophie smiled back at him. Yes, thank you, thank you.
She didn't care how long it took as long as her details were on that file. If you've been lying and your name is not registered as his spouse, then he'll be arrested under the Terrorism Act. The harshness had returned and he was jabbing a finger at her, tapping the glass with his nail. You understand the consequences for you, don't you? Aiding an insurgent is a felony. If you confess now and show he's been coercing you, then the authorities can be a little more lenient. Would you like to confess, Miss Smith? I have nothing to confess. Michael Finlay is my husband. Ah, don't say you weren't warned. Take a number and we'll attend to you later. The room was just as crowded as when she first walked in. The number on the screen had reached 142. She ripped off a new ticket. 265. There would be plenty of time to call her father and tip him off about the misunderstanding. Two hours later, she could taste the powerlessness and abandonment that had been her husband's staple for the past six years. Her bottom lip had become sore from nervous chewing. She checked her phone once more. Nothing. Sophie's messages and texts to her father had remained unanswered. It was too late. Her number flashed on the screen. Sophie hurried to the desk, checking the exits. There were no guards approaching her, but maybe they were on their way. Handcuffs prepared and with Finn already standing in front of the firing squad. Sophie slid on the headset, dreading his voice. It crackled slightly as the senior officer switched on the intercom. I thought I'd deal with this case myself. It seems that your story has been verified and we can proceed with the registration and payment. Relief brought a flurry of emotions. She grabbed hold of the desk to steady her buckling knees. Finn was alive. Behind the screen, she noticed he was turning the monitor to face her. Please confirm this prisoner is your DIA. Sophie's face reddened and the tears she'd been holding back escaped on seeing Finn's picture complete with his prisoner number below. It was too much. They weren't in a treatment centre. It was a dehumanising factory. Her voice barely audible, she replied to the guard. Yes, that's my husband. You have to pay 1000 now, or the prisoner can be held for 30 days, if fit, while you secure further funds. No, I have the money. She pushed her bank cards through the slot and completed the transaction. His illness had depleted their savings, but there was no choice. At least they did have savings. She was herded to another waiting room, which was equally cramped, and told to wait with the others until Finn's number appeared on the screen above. Her eyes were aching from staring at it. The numbers blurred and she blinked to refocus, but Finn's number did not appear. She began to gear herself up with the expectation of a guard arriving, telling her that there'd been a mistake. Finn had been shot for being a terrorist and she was going to be arrested. It didn't happen. After several hours, his number lit up on the screen, followed by Interview Room 4. At the door of Interview Room 4, Sophie knocked and prepared herself for the next ordeal. Officer Enright was a rotund, balding man, his green uniform far too small for him. The buttons on his jacket were straining to be released from the pressure of holding back his ripples of fat. He reigned over his desk like a toad waiting to flick out his tongue at a passing fly or an unfortunate DIA. Miss Sophie Smith? 
he said in a voice that was comically high-pitched for such a round man. So, we've had fun and games with this file, haven't we? Tell me, why the secrecy? Why doesn't your name appear on the prisoner's file? The toad liked to get down to business. No, how do you do, or please take a seat. Sophie ignored his lack of manners, sat down, placed her bag on the floor and crossed her ankles, smiling politely at Officer Enright before replying. It clearly states on his file that my husband is an MI. The removal of my name from the file is for security reasons. If you wish to find out more, you should contact the Minister for Internal Affairs. The toad eyed her suspiciously. Sophie genuinely did not know the reason and assumed it was to prevent embarrassment for her father but she had no intention of using that as an explanation. All these men needed to know was that Finn was legitimately married to her. Officer Enright huffed and continued to tap on the tablet, until he cleared his throat for the interview. The prisoner has had his blood and other bodily fluids tested and appears to be clear of the virus. We carried out a series of stamina and lung function tests, which he passed, but it was borderline. Did your husband develop any complications during his illness? Pneumonia, for example. Sophie shook her head. She knew which lies to perpetuate. Can we go home now? She asked, itching to leave the nightmarish centre. The officer ignored her question and prodded the tablet with his chipolata finger. Without looking up, he said, Given the number of visits by Dr Thatcher and the results from the test, I'm surprised he was not admitted to the centre as per regulations. Dark eyes stared straight through Sophie, daring her to lie. She paused for longer than he expected. Well, do you have an answer? Get it wrong and it would not only be Henry in trouble. She returned his glare with a wide-eyed innocence. Oh, well, I suppose we were fortunate that Finn's fever didn't really develop beyond the first 24 hours, and I was able to control his cough with a herbal remedy. So, why the doctor's visits? Do you have money to burn? <laughs> oh, no, of course not. It's just that Henry, Dr Thatcher, that is, well, you see, he's an old friend of mine, and also my employer. He wasn't treating Finn as such, but he did drop by to check on me. He's a very caring man, you see, and he's such a stickler for procedure. So in accordance with the current regulations, he logged all his visits, even though we were just chatting in the kitchen. Most of the times, he didn't even see Finn. Officer Enright read the notes again. The medical officer appeared suitably confused, but much to Sophie's satisfaction, he did not question her further. His hand slid across the desk to press a button, leaving a sweaty trail behind on the dark leather. A few minutes later, a door to the side opened and a guard entered with Finn. His own clothes were gone and he was wearing a dark green prison uniform. On the top was written, Property of the Albion State Prison Service. It was hard to know if it meant the item of clothing or the man inside. Handcuffed and his ankles shackled, he was led to a wooden bench to sit at the side of the room. Sophie tried to give him a loving smile, but he did not look at her focusing instead on the buildings outside the window. A young guard stood by Finn, his vicious smirk leaving Sophie in no doubt that her husband had endured hours of base humiliation. She took him in, from the shoes on his feet to the ginger hair peeking out from under his cap, the young image of her enemy. Sophie was seething.
Are the handcuffs really necessary? Isn't this just a health check? She said, turning back to the comical amphibian before her. The toad replied that procedure must be followed at all times. He cleared his throat again. I have a question, Miss Smith. Sophie had been waiting for this one. Always the same question. Henry had asked her about it the first time he'd met Finn. The injuries to his wrists. There is unusually little information on his file. It just says he had an accident when he was 25. Can you elaborate? The insinuation was obvious, and her practice response was ready. If you click on the incident, it clearly states that my husband was cleaning the greenhouse when some glass broke, injuring his wrists. Our friend Captain Yossarian was present and gave him first aid. As a fully qualified nurse, I was also able to help. There was no need to take him to the hospital, and so there's no medical record of the incident. Captain Yossarian provided a witness statement after the Alien Registration Act came into force. He gave her a look of utter disbelief before tapping on the item and seeing the statement, the stamp of New Albany emblazoned across the middle. Sophie knew that he could not doubt the evidence, no matter how unbelievable. Officer Enright continued to delve into the online notes. He stopped swiping, his finger hovering above the screen. Then he sat up with a satisfied smugness. I see you have no children, and the prisoner had mumps, aged 34. You've not had him undergo a fertility test, have you? No, I don't believe it's obligatory, quite yet. He pointed out that complimentary testing was available in the centre. An infertile result, making an annulment automatic. Adding, Miss Smith, you are a pretty woman. You'd have no trouble getting yourself a good patriot man. I'm currently looking myself. The portly officer left his desk, pulling a chair across with him. He sat down next to her, his damp palm rubbing her knee, the heat and moisture seeping through the fabric onto her skin. She would have pushed it off, but that may have antagonised him. The release document needed to be authorised. A rhythmic rattling of shackles informed her that Finn was watching them. Both her father and Sergeant Mason had warned her about the more irregular aspects of the health check, and she had prepared in advance. Sophie had tied a ribbon in her dark hair, and the top buttons on her blouse had been left open. A borrowed pearl necklace highlighted the base of her neck. Her high heels and hideous navy skirt completed the uniform of a dutiful patriot woman. Her father's advice rang in her ears. You must show submission at all times. Sophie tipped her head down and looked at the officer through her lashes. Oh, my. Well, Officer Enright, if I am ever in a situation where I require a new husband, I shall certainly put you on my list. Sophie worried the buttons on his uniform would pop off as he puffed out his chest. Oh, dear Officer Enright, I wonder if you might help me. <laughs> she picked up her handbag and pulled out a thick brown envelope. I understand there is a charity run through the treatment centre for the widows and orphans of our brave guardsmen killed fighting the insurgency. Officer Enright nodded. His eyes were firmly fixed on the area where her blouse spread open his brain incapable of simultaneous speech and sexual titillation. 
I have a donation for the fund. If I give it to you, would you be an absolute sweetheart and give it to the appropriate person? She continued. He held out his hand for the envelope, clasping it greedily before slipping it inside his jacket pocket and returning to the desk. To her right, a printer whirred into life, spewing out a sheet of paper that came to rest at her feet. Conditional release, printed in bold red type at the top. Sophie picked up the sheet of paper and looked at the officer. The simpering smile had vanished. Officer Enright sat back in his chair, elbows on the desk and his multiple chins resting on the back of his hand. As the prisoner has only just passed the lung function test, he is required to have a repeat health check in six months' time. So, Miss Smith, we'll be seeing each other again, he grinned at her, pulled out a drawer from his desk and wrote down his name and mobile number on a leaflet. Here, take this. Sophie looked at the leaflet. Four easy steps to annulment. Her act had gone too far and had provided him with expectations. Don't waste time, though. You're already damaged goods. Leave it much longer and you'll be of no use to anyone. He loomed over her with intimidating proximity, his rancid breath sticking to her throat as he spoke. We like our women young, healthy and unsullied, although in your case as a former elite... I'm prepared to overlook that. Ignoring his comment, Sophie stood to leave. Where should we go to collect my husband's things? The officer indicated to the guard to take Finn away. Sophie assumed the sole reason for his presence was to witness an odious creature lust over her, while she used their savings to buy back his limited freedom. They'll take him to the collection room. Officer Enright held out his hand wiping them on his trousers when Sophie did not motion to take it. Hmm. Well, you must be in a hurry. Goodbye, Miss Smith, but I do look forward to seeing you again in the summer, if not sooner. The collection room was empty, save for a sole guard at a desk. She wondered about the other DIAs who had arrived with Finn. Surely some of them were fit enough to return home. Sophie contacted Christopher, who replied he'd be waiting for them at the Albion entrance then proceeded to stare at the clock on the wall. Every passing second increasing her anxiety that something had gone wrong. A buzzer sounded, making her jump. Irritated by the interruption, the guard slammed his paperwork on the desk and stomped to the door. Finn was back in his own clothes, although his arms remained handcuffed. She couldn't stop smiling at him, and had to be asked twice before even noticing the guard pushing a tablet at her. You got a sign this, miss. Her finger slid across the screen, leaving nothing more than a hurried scribble. They did not speak on the short walk back to Christopher. Her father's chauffeur had spotted them and was holding the car door open. Finn got in first. But when Sophie bent to get in, Christopher grabbed her arm, keeping her back. How was it? Sophie shook her head, unable to speak. Sliding into the car, Christopher closed the door gently behind her. Through the tinted glass, Sophie saw him standing guard. He understood silence so well. He was ensuring the couple a rare moment of privacy in a public place. She shuffled across the leather seat and held her husband in her arms, kissed him, and lied that he'd be fine. He'd get over it. Finn buried his face into her shoulder. It wasn't long before Sophie felt his warm tears seep through her blouse and onto her skin. 
Thank you for listening to this production of The Third Magpie. To support our work, please consider buying or gifting a digital copy of The Third Magpie from Amazon or post a review on Goodreads.